about you, but I need that promise this morning. Amen? Today is Sending Sunday, and it is one of the most bittersweet, difficult Sundays of the year for me because we say goodbye to some of our our best and brightest, some of our close friends and family members at Pullman Foursquare, people that we have got to invest a lot of time and energy with, gone camping together, we've eaten food together, lots of food together, we love to eat food. And these people have become like family to us, not just good friends, but they are like family members here at Pullman Foursquare. And so they will be leaving us um, the next, some of of them will be leaving this weekend, some of them will be leaving in a few weekends, some will be leaving over the summer. And so we want to say goodbye to all of them at the same time, even though they may string out for a while and be here. We want to, we want to send them off with a, with a blessing today. Um, You know, and it's, it's really an important thing about us as a church, we send people, a lot of churches around the country, uh, other pastors that I interact with, when I talk about how many people we actually send out every year, they are just floored because they may lose that number of people in, in a year, but they don't send them. They leave because of various reasons. And they don't just have this sense of, look, there's a commission happening here. There, there's a, a sense of you go with our blessing, but you also go um, being sent by the Holy Spirit that God is calling you someplace else. And so we are really excited, but it's really difficult. It's a difficult part for me because I'm called as a shepherd, right? It's one of the things the Bible calls pastors. Pastor translates to shepherd. And shepherds, one of the things they really want to do is to keep their sheep together, right? Except for the ones they want to sell or eat. But we're not going to go there, right? So I don't do that part of shepherding. I want to keep the sheep together. And so when we send sheep out, even though it's what God has called us and made us to do, it is difficult. Uh, recently, I was in an online conversation with this guy, Pete Scazzaro. He's the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You've heard me talk about him before. Um, and we were having this conversation about building emotionally healthy spiritual church, um, how you foster that in a community. And I just kind of like, we had this chance to ask questions. And I said, Look, this is my context. We get to have people between four months and four years, typically. I mean, some people we get to keep a lot longer than that, but there is this huge group of people that we get four months to four years with. How in the world am I supposed to foster this depth of emotional health and spiritual health in a group of people who, they're like, they just keep coming and going and coming and going. And he goes, look, I got one big thing to tell you. The very most important thing that you need to know is that you will not get to enjoy the fruits of what you do. And then he said, and hopefully I will, because they're going to come to your church and they're going to go through this stuff and they're going to grow in Jesus and they're going to become emotionally, spiritually healthy and they're going to come to my church. And at that point, I wanted to punch him in the face. You can't have my sheep. Let me have my sheep. Let them stay here. We want to be a holding and grabbing church, but we're ascending church because this is what God has called us to. It's the nature of life in Pullman that people come and that people go. And they come and they're a part of our family for a time and they become brothers and sisters in that time. That is what is available to you. If this is your first, second, third Sunday, this is what can happen for you here. You can find family. And when you leave, it'll be like leaving family. And that's hard. It's the nature of Pullman, but it's also the nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus called us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. Better translation would be, and while you're going. It's just this recognition that life is like that. We come and we go, we move from place to place, 
And, and God is moving us in the midst of that. He is calling us from place to place. Later in the Gospels, or later in the New Testament, I'm sorry, the, the writers started calling the Christians sent ones. They're sent by God. And get this, being sent always means leaving one place to go to another. It always means moving from Egypt and into the promised land. It means leaving death to become alive in Christ. It means uh, living in, I'm sorry, leaving what is known to find purpose and mission in the unknown. The big difference between what happens this morning and what happens to a lot of people over this next week across Pullman is that people can leave this town and just go to another place, but those who are leaving this community are being sent with a purpose and with a mission. You can leave a place and not be sent. You can move elsewhere with no greater sense of purpose than a job or a climate or a relationship. I mean, don't get me wrong. I desire to move for these same reasons all the time. I mean, it's my human nature. Who wouldn't want to live near their in-laws just for the free babysitting alone, right? Free babysitting if you live near your in-laws. Or live on a beach in Mexico. Who wouldn't want to live there, right? Or take a job that pays you $100,000 a year. Now, if you get the job that pays you $100,000 a year, it's kind of like having free babysitting, and you can live on the beach in Mexico. It's a bonus, right? Who wouldn't want to pursue those things and have those things in life? And I'm not saying that those things aren't a part of what people are sent to. But what I am saying is that you can go and pursue those things with no greater sense of purpose than having those, whereas Jesus sends us to find a purpose in life that he has set apart for us, that he has called us to, a, a plan, a place, a mission that he has set apart for you before you were even born, good works that he has set before you to do. And in that, you will find your purpose. And in that, you will find your sense of belonging. And in that, you will find your sense of relationship with the Lord as you fulfill what he has created you for. So today, rather than leaving and saying that people are leaving, these precious friends of ours are going to be sent, sent by us, and by the Lord with our blessing and our prayers into a new life and into a new purpose. So this morning I want to give time to that prayer and that blessing um, at the end of our service. Um, and I also want to not just pray for those who are going, because really we're going to have four or five, maybe six people that we're sending today. And there's, you know, 50, 60, 70 of us in here this morning. And uh, so what about the rest of you, right? <laughs> like, oh, I'm not going anywhere, so I don't need to pay attention to this sermon, right? Thanks, Jamie. I can go home now. The reality is those of us who are saying are also sent ones. Those of us who remain here in Pullman are also sent. You were not necessarily sent to another town, but you were sent across the street, across the neighborhood, across the grocery store, across the aisle at church. You have a purpose and a place here, a, a, a mission that God has brought you here for. And so as a being a sent one, we want to look and see what the scripture has to say to you as well as to those who are being sent. So we're going to look at actually at Paul, his first missionary journey. It's found in Acts chapter 13. Paul is one of our favorite theologian poet types uh, who likes to write really confusing stuff. But this is in the book of Acts. And so it's a story about Paul rather than Paul trying to explain things to us. So it should be fairly easy and clear to see. So if you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13 or on the back of your bulletin notes, um, we're going to take a look at them. And as I read, it's it's not... It's a fairly long piece of scripture. So as I read, I just like, if you see a word that's repeated, start circling that. And if you, something like glows to you, if you, you know what I mean by that, like it stands out like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Or that's for me. Just kind of underline that. Because 
God wants to speak to you. He may speak to you through something else today. Um, and I want to make sure that you hear it. So let's read Acts chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, the lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues and the, Jew, and the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil. How nice. (laughs) Jeez, Paul. Lay off. You enemy of all righteousness, it gets better, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead by the hand, lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw that what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would remind us from your word this morning what it means to be sent and what you're doing in us as we go. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged this day as we read this text and as we study it. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a first century story, story of the first century church at Antioch. And it's one of our favorite, again, favorite theologian poets named Paul. And I, I don't know if you know this, but Paul was the author of two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote a lot of the Bible. And if you don't know, Paul wasn't always Paul. I mean, he's the main character of this story. But if you notice at the beginning, he is called Saul. And about midway through, suddenly it says, and he was also called Paul. Now, Saul met Jesus on a road one day. He had been violently persecuting Christians. And he was riding on a donkey to go violently persecute some more Christians when Jesus showed up in his life and literally blinded him for a time, metaphorically saying to Paul with a physical blinding that you have been blind, but soon you shall really see. And that set Paul on a new journey where he moved to Antioch and began to learn about Jesus, the stories of Jesus, to find out who he was. And in the midst of that, God promises Saul that he will be given a new name and a new identity. He will no longer be Saul, the violent persecutor of Christians, but he will become Paul, the builder of the church, the great missionary, the one who is going to take Jesus to the Gentiles, which means it's going to move from the Jewish religion to the rest of the world. He is going to have this great mission and great purpose in life. So as I was reading this text about Paul's first missionary journey, the first time he goes out to share the stories of Jesus, I noticed a few things about him that I think really apply to those who are being sent and those of us who are staying. First of all, is this, that Saul left some really good friends behind. He really did. From the day that Saul met Jesus, 
he was invited, uh, he was thrust into a special community, a, a group of uh, people who became his friends and his family. They stood up for him when other people were afraid of him. They invited him into the Christian faith. They invested in him. They spent time telling him the stories. And then it says that he was a part of this group that was prophets and teachers in Damascus. This was his church. It was his small group, his community of faith. Bible scholars have done a lot of math okay, with the Bible. They've gone through and they've like read the stories. And Paul says, I was here this long and there that long, and I did this and I did that. And then they're lining up that with the time frames of this this tetriarch was alive then, and this emperor was alive then. And they put together this timeline to figure out, you know, how long things were, because Paul never says. If you do the math, Paul spent between 12 and 14 years with this group of people. 12 to 14 years in this one church, learning, growing, praying, serving. He was probably a Sunday school teacher. Imagine Paul be the worst Sunday school teacher ever. Kids would be sitting there going, what is he even saying? I don't know. You know, I don't get it. It just doesn't make sense. And he's, Somebody else come along. It's okay. He's a poet, theologian. It's just, just let him talk. He was deeply connected with these people. And in that time, he became like brothers and sisters, just like here at Pullman Foursquare Church. These were friends. They weren't just anonymous people. They had names, and they listed them in this, in this text. Barnabas, Lucius, Manan, Simeon. Friends. And he had to leave them behind. And that's exactly why today, days like today are really difficult for us. Because we have brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers in the faith in this place. It hurts a little to say goodbye. But though they were close, when God made it clear that his purpose for Saul and Barnabas was to go, they didn't hold on too tightly, which is our temptation. Even those of us who are going, our temptation is to hold on to what we've had in the past and to not let it go because it's so good. What we've had here has been so good, I can't let this go until I see what it is I have before me. And for those of us who are staying, this is so good, I don't want to let this go. I want to make this as hard as possible on you. I, I, I just want you to feel awful for leaving me. We could be manipulative about it. I've probably done this myself, not even aware. I'm sorry if I have. But we want to hold on. But when the Spirit makes it clear to these friends that it is His purpose for them to go, they release them, and they bless them, and they send them in the name of the Lord. And what's really, really cool is in verse 3, it says that they prayed for them and sent them. So the friends prayed for them and sent them. But then in verse 4, it comes back and it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Suddenly the subject of who is sending changes. First it's the friends and family are sending, but then when they go, the Holy Spirit is the one actually doing. We don't just do this alone, ladies and gentlemen, today. The Holy Spirit is sending, is commanding, is ordering, is thrusting people into a new life. So that's the first thing that I noticed, is that they left behind good friends, and that probably was not easy. But then I noticed this, that Saul, or Paul, didn't go it alone. The second thing I noticed is the text says that John accompanied him. He went with Barnabas and with John. Now, John here is the actual disciple John, the apostle John, Jesus' best friend in life. John is older than Paul. He is uh, older in the faith. He is older in life than Paul. He's got more experience. He's been taking care of Mary, Jesus' mother, for all this time. And now Paul is being sent out. So John goes along with him, and he goes along as a mentor. 
goes along to assist him, somebody to guide him, to help him out, to make sure that he's, you know, on the right track, saying the right things, not preaching some kind of crazy heresy. Uh, But he's out there preaching the actual stories of Jesus, telling the actual meaning of these stories. He had somebody to go along with him, to walk alongside of him. He didn't go it alone. Now, to my knowledge, none of you who are being sent today have the luxury of taking a mentor with you. Or even maybe a close friend will be going with you. So let me just say this this morning. If any of you are planning on moving to the Caribbean, Heidi and I will gladly volunteer to go as your mentors. You just have to pay our way. So anybody want to volunteer this morning? Dang it. I was hopeful. Maybe one day. I'll just keep offering. Just keep offering. We'll just keep putting it out there. So since you're being sent from this place to someplace else, and you're not taking a mentor with you, and you're not taking a best friend with you to walk alongside of you, it is very, very important for you to go from here to someplace else and find a people to be your support. Find a people to walk with you in your faith and in your mission. People who can assist you and mentor you and help you grow in your calling. Find a church. Find a good church. Not the perfect church, okay? Find a good church, but don't look for the perfect church, because guess what? I have found out recently that there is only one perfect church in the world, and it's not here, and it's not anywhere where you ever are. It actually doesn't exist. There is no such thing as the perfect church. So you have to go looking for a good one. I was sitting with Russ Salvadelena this last week, uh, who's sitting back over there in this nice hair and great suit jacket, and we were having coffee, and I, I asked him kind of near the end of our time, I'm like, so Russ, how do you find the right church? Because I have never actually had to look for a church. Churches are always looking for me as a pastor. They're always, that's how it goes. You know, we put our resume out there and churches interview and we find like, what is the fit for this? And is God calling us there? And then boom, there you go. I've never like, as a member of a church like you, looked for a church. And so I said, so how does that work? I mean, how did it work to bring you to Pullman Foursquare Church? Now, Russ and Janie have been in this church for 17 years. And so granted, they're a long way removed from looking for a church. So I'm like, so how did that go down? Can you tell me about that? And he says, well, we moved from California and we came, I was here first. And he said he kind of looked around a couple churches, got invited to Pullman Foursquare Church and kind of liked it. And when the family came, they went and they kind of looked at a couple of churches and then came here. And he said they realized that this was it. This was their family. This was the place where they fit. He goes, it wasn't perfect because we were looking for a few important things. Like, did they teach the word of God? Like, can you show me from the scripture that what you're saying is there? So they're not just preaching out of, you know, some psychology book or whatever. This is in the Bible most of the time. He he did put that caveat, which I'm not sure how to take that. But he said, most of the time it's there. And, and you know, so we can we can work with that. And then we just had this sense of family and connection. There was people like us there and we had our kids. And, and he said, so we just decided that this was the place. And then they settled down and put themselves to work, making this the very best place it could be. I just want to suggest to you this morning that there is no such thing as the perfect church. So what you have to do is find a place that teaches the Bible most of the time, give some grace, and that you can become part of the family. When you find a place where you can become part of the family, and they teach the word, settle down and make it the best church it can be. So this is a message for those of you leaving, as well as those of you staying. Because so often... People go out searching for the perfect church, a place that ticks off all of their boxes. Have you guys seen online the, the, the what was it, Church Hunters? Have you seen that? It's like House Hunters Church Edition or whatever. It's a, it's a, it's a parody thing. And it's this couple like saying, like, I want, 
I want the humor of this pastor and the wisdom of this pastor with the body of this pastor. And we want to make sure that they've got small groups for every stage of our life right now. And you know, they've got all these boxes that they're looking for. This is going to be the perfect church. And they go, but none of these churches just really fit. And so if somebody comes and helps them find a church, it doesn't work. We're looking for what we want in a community rather than what we can make a community by being there. So go and find a place where you can settle in and make that place the very best community that it can possibly be while you are living out the calling that God has placed on your life, whether it's in a secular business place or in a church or whatever it happens to be. Whatever you do, find a place and invest your life there. Be a part of it. Third, I saw that Saul was set apart and prepared by God. Have you ever noticed it in Scripture, you know, when we talked about being sent always involves being moving, but being a part of the kingdom always involves being moved, being moved. God is always moving people from point A to point B. He uses the time spent in point A, though, to prepare them for point B. So if you have the, Egyptian, or the, the Israelites, when they were enslaved in Egypt back in the book of Exodus, that time wasn't wasted. You're like, well, they're slaves. Look how they were mistreated and abused. But the word says that during their time in Egypt, they grew in numbers and in strength, that they became a nation of people who were enslaved. And God used that time in enslavement to prepare them for the promised land. And then he takes them out of Egypt and he brings them into the desert. And they spend all these years wandering around the desert. Like now we're at point B. We're at point B and this is this new place. And we've been prepared for this new place. But God is using this new place to prepare us for point C, the promised land. He moves us from one place to the next, and he grows us in strength. He grows us in grace to prepare us for the next place. While Paul was in Antioch, he was sent out to Greece. His 14 years in Antioch prepared him to reach the Gentiles. God prepares you in one place to send you to the next. It might be across the street, across town, across the hall, across the state, or across the world. So here's the thing. Don't despise where you are. Pullman can be a difficult place to live for those of us who are staying. Let's just be honest about it. The comings and going, the small town life, the allergies. Oh my gosh, the allergies don't get me started, right? There can be diff there's difficult things about being here. And a lot of times I've met people like, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life, but I'm so sick of being here. This place is not, it's not, this isn't the best place in the world. This isn't where I want to be. This isn't what I want my life to look like. And the secular culture is saying, well, if this isn't what, your life to look, what you want your life to look like, go someplace else and make it there. Can I tell you, wherever you go, there you are. If you leave here, you take yourself with you. And the things that made this place difficult for you go with you. Because it's not the allergies, it's not the small town culture, it's not the lifestyle of a coming and going place that makes it difficult. It is your heart. And the Lord is using this place to form and shape your heart for the next. And until those things that God wants to work out in you have been changed, you will never be happy anywhere else. That was a hard word, but it's true. Don't spend your time here or in the next place pining away for the next. Instead, press into what God has for you here. Press into your relationships. Press into your own heart. Seek to be emotionally and spiritually whole and healthy. Grow in the grace of the Lord. Grow in your knowledge. God is working in you here to prepare you for there. And for some of you who are leaving here, God has been, and know this, God has been working in you. 
whether you've seen it or not, whether you recognize it or not, God has been working in you and preparing you for the next stage of your life. So don't despise where you're at. Quickly, two more things that I noticed through this text. Uh, first of all, is that Saul faced opposition. Now, I, initially, I wanted to read all of Acts chapter 13 to you, and I realized it was really long. But it's got more stories in there of opposition that Paul comes up against. He is being sent um, out to a new place. And sometimes we think that when we go from place A to place B, that it's all going to be rainbows and unicorns and, and happy smiley land. And everything's going to be wonderful. We're going to have this great paycheck and all these new friends and this new life. And guess what? That is not the way life works. It just isn't. You will face opposition in life. If you're a high schooler and you think that being adult is going to be so wonderful, wait until you start seeing student loan bills, right? Wait until you face the electric bill. and Wait until you face dating. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that's just hard as an adult. There is opposition. It is not smooth sailing all the time. It's just natural. Anytime, and then to go past that, it's just natural that it's hard in life. You know, we face opposition. When we go in the name of the Lord, when we are sent in the name of the Lord, that means that we are sent up against an enemy that wants to destroy us. What the Bible says is that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? And when we go out in the name of the Lord, we come up against that theft, up against that death, up against that destruction, and naturally we face opposition in it. The people who were our friends last week are looking to stone us this week sometimes. And they're using rocks, okay, just to be clear. And, you know, the things that we thought were going to go so well become difficult for us. The things we thought we were so prepared for become hard. The things we thought we were called to are a challenge. And that's just what happens. Every trial, though, for Paul, became not an opportunity to turn and run away, but an opportunity to be a witness. See, that's often, I think, have you ever heard this statement? Well, I just think maybe the Lord's not calling me to this, or maybe just God's not in this, or maybe God didn't lead me to this, I got it wrong. People do this all the time. They get out there, and then they face this opposition that comes their way. They face the hard stuff, and they go, oh, this must not be God's will for me to be here. I'm just going to turn and walk away. Seldom in Scripture does that ever happen. Seldom has Paul like, okay, wait a minute, there's enough opposition here where I'm thinking I must have been going the other way. In Acts chapter 13, twice, he comes up against opposition. The first time is against this false teacher. I mean, he's been preaching in synagogues. Everything's been going great. You know, he's just going around. He's telling everybody about Jesus. And then he comes up to this guy, and this guy is like actively opposing him. And instead of turning and saying, well, I guess maybe the word isn't supposed to be for this place. I'm going to leave. He looks at him and he says, what were those words? I got to find him again. It was really not nice. Where is it? You son of the devil, yeah, the enemy of all righteousness. I mean, he faces it. He calls it what it is. I want to encourage you. You will face opposition, and when you do, call it for what it is. Face it in the strength of the Lord, because what happens is every time, every time Paul faces that opposition, it turns into a witness. This time, this great leader becomes a Christian, and that paves the road for many others to hear the word of God. Later on in the chapter, uh, he's preaching to the Jews, and the Jews are like, oh, hey, this is great. What a great idea. Jesus is really awesome. And then they start seeing that, you know, rather, rather than their little church and their little theater growing each week and being what it is, they start seeing that 
people are flocking to Paul. People, that guy wouldn't come to my church even for Easter. What's he doing going to hear Paul? And they get jealous, and then they start to try to oppose him. And he sees this as an opportunity for the gospel. And what he says, look, if the Jews don't want this, guess what? God has called me to the Gentiles. And it says that the Gentiles rejoiced that these people who weren't Jewish heritage, these people that had no history with God, started saying, it's for us. And the church grew and exploded because of it. So face the opposition with faith. See what God will do. Lastly, I noticed that Saul was transformed in the going. He was transformed in the process of going. Like I pointed out before, it starts with Saul and it becomes Paul. It was in this moment, in this trip, in this sending moment, that Paul's identity has changed. God makes good on his promise to give this man a new identity and a new purpose. But did you notice that Saul didn't go knowing what he was going to do? He went out, and they were like, okay, so we're going to preach in the synagogues. And they preached in the synagogues. They didn't know what was going to happen. And then we're going we're gonna to preach to this great leader. We don't know what's going to happen. We're going to keep doing it. We don't know what's going to happen. And it's only in retrospect and reading the story that we get what his purpose was. It's only in retrospect, looking back, that we understand how we are transformed and changed into the image of God. Paul's plans and purposes are transformed, and so is he. I just want to say to you that if you've been in this church for six weeks, six months, six years, and you're leaving, you've been here even longer than that, you are not the same person as when you came. You're not. And if you're staying, you will not be the same person six months from now that you were when you are sitting in this moment. We change and transformed, and that's because God has not finished with you yet. He's not. So this time you've had here, like if you're leaving because you've graduated and you got a degree, you're not done. God's not done with you. The degree isn't the end of this. If you're leaving because you've retired and you finished your career, Bruce and Lori, God is not finished with you yet. You're not perfected and done. Far from it. <laughs> you go from this place with our blessing, but God is still working in you and still working on you and still working through you. So today we're going to spend the rest of our time and we're going to just pray over a few people that are going. And I'm going to pray over all of us as well during this time because you are all commissioned as sent ones, whether you were being sent from Pullman Foursquare to the rest of this world or being sent from this seat to your business or to your neighborhood, wherever it happens to be. If you were a follower of Jesus, you were a sent one. And so I want to commission you and bless you as well. This is going to be a very uh, kind of a, a family time. So if you're a guest, I apologize if you feel left out at all. Feel free to jump in at ever, whatever level you're comfortable. But we're going to have all of our, our uh, those who we're sending come down, and they're going to be over here. They're going to come across, and we've got a couple of things I'm going to explain to you that we're going to give them. And then they're going to come over here and wait, and we're all going to gather around them and pray for them at the end to send them. And then I'll pray a blessing over all of you. That's how the end of this is going to work, so that you don't have to guess what's happening. Um, so first let me tell you about this. These are some symbols we've been using the last several years that we give to those who we send. We have uh, three main things. The first is a towel. Uh, you're like, oh, that's practical. There you go. Now you can dry off after the shower tomorrow. Um, it's a towel. You know, on campus yesterday and today, this is graduation weekend, isn't it? No, it's next weekend. So next weekend on campus, 
Students who receive their master's degrees will walk up on the stage. I know this how this works because I got one once. They walk up on stage and they give them a, a, an empty book thing that's supposed to hold their degree. And they say, well, we're giving you this, but you don't get the degree yet until we're sure you've finished. And then they sit you down and you kneel down on the stage and they put a hood over you. And it goes up around your neck and it's got beautiful colors about your degree and whatever. And it says, we confer upon you all the power, all the rights, all the privileges of a person who has this master's degree in physics. Go and figure out how in the world to turn that into a career, right? They, they put this, it's kind of the equivalent of a police officer getting his badge, right? It says you have the authority invested in you by some entity to do whatever it is you are called to do. Well, in the Bible, um, we see this over and over again. In the Old Testament prophets, they had a, a mantle placed on them. It was a piece of cloth that said, this is a prophet. And they'd go about and they'd operate in the gifting of a prophet amongst people. And people would respect them because they were prophets. Then Jesus comes along and he carries this mantle of a prophet. But at the end of his life, uh, the last couple days before he dies on a cross, he takes the mantle off and he puts on a towel around his waist. And he kneels down and he washes the disciples' feet. And he lives as a servant because he says this is what it is to be a Christian, is to be a servant of all. And so we place the mantle of a servant over each one of those that we send. So that is the first symbol, is a towel. The second symbol is a little more obvious. It's a packet of seeds. It's a packet of seeds. And we say, as you go from this place, you carry the seeds of Pullman Foursquare. Pullman Foursquare is a much bigger church than it looks like. We see this each week. But when God looks down and he sees Pullman Foursquare Church, he sees people in Iraq. He sees people in Israel. He sees people in Africa. He sees people in, in New York City. All across this globe, there are people that were seeds of Pullman Foursquare and what he has done in, in, in them in here. They also represent the seeds of the good news that you carry with you. Because that's you notice what Paul did. He goes out and he's just sharing the gospel. He's planting seeds. And that's what you do. Just how you live, who you are, how you speak how you connect to a community, you carry seeds. But I also felt like the Lord was saying with these seeds to know that, as I said before, he's not done with you yet, that there are seeds that have been planted in you here that will still grow to a new plant, to new life, to fruit, and it's going to happen someplace else. So we give you a packet of seeds to remember, and maybe you could take and plant them in somewhere and have a great big sunflower grow up, and you remember Pullman Foursquare, remember what God did in you here, and remember that you are prepared for something more. And then finally, we're going to anoint them with oil. And this is done throughout the Bible as a, a sign and a symbol of setting somebody apart as holy. When, when they had a, they built their first temple and they were worshiping the Lord, all the articles, all the worship team people and all the musician instruments and stuff, they anointed them with oil. They said, this is special. This is set apart. This is for the Lord. And we are going to do that as well. And today we are going to anoint you with a cross on your forehead to say you were set apart. We set you apart for God's mission in your life as you go from this place.